0: Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, thank you for your promise that you will use your word and that you will lead us into all truth. Uh, Father, we pray that your word would speak to us specifically this morning in an area that we know our day and age has gone far astray from your beautiful design of one man and one woman brought together in a one flesh relationship for their mutual good and for your glory. So this morning, would you help recalibrate both our expectations for what marriage is supposed to be and what it's like, and for our practice of how we actually go about submitting to each other and loving each other and doing so in a way that reflects the goodness and the glory of you, our God. So we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. It's been said that marriage is falling on tough times, I was listening to someone trying to articulate just that perspective this week. Uh, they made an argument. They said that so many marriages end so poorly, and when it happens, it's so cataclysmic, the loss of resources and the relational rifts and all the trauma that goes with it, that it's like a sort of death coming upon a person. So they said, even if, let's say, you were able to mitigate the amount of marriages that failed, It is such a bad outcome for a marriage to go bad that it's like taking the chance that you're going to die. If you had a pill that you could take, let's say it was just a 1 in 10 chance that it would kill you. Would you take that pill? See the logic? Because, of course, we all have examples in our own lives or people we know of marriages that have gone very, very poorly. So some are arguing, be done with marriage. At least slow down and really consider it and the uh, the downsides to it before you engage in it. Of course, that's not the only attack on marriage. There's also a push to redefine it. Uh, No longer one man and one woman in a one flesh relationship till death do them part. Uh, But any combination of men and women, and even more than two, if that suits you fine. Uh, There's all sorts of pressure to see that idea of a quaint marriage that lasts for decades between one man and one woman as a relic of the past, something we need to do away with. It's not all bad news, though. Um, Even though at times, even we Christians sometimes talk about marriage in such a way that it gives the impression that, yeah, there's more downsides than upsides. Um, I remember when Precious and I were engaged, we were going through premarital counseling, which, by the way, I recommend highly to any couple getting ready to be married. And in the process of going through premarital, it seemed as if the people that were trying to serve us were trying to use a scared, straight approach to us about marriage. Oh, you're going to watch out for this thing that's going to happen. And oh man, it's going to be really hard over here. So much so that when we actually got married a few months into, we looked at each other, we said, Are we missing something? This is awesome. Well, it turns out that God's beautiful design for marriage is intensely for our mutual good, and as we'll see in a moment, for his glory. And in fact, there's some contemporary evidence to back it up. A sociologist named Brad Wilcox has done a bunch of research on the effect of marriage on people's overall happiness. And he's come to the conclusion that there is no greater measure for the impact of the overall well-being and happiness of a person than if they are in what's termed a good marriage. He calculates it out to be 545% higher likelihood that you will have a good life if you're in a good marriage than if you don't. Now, how in the world do we proceed forward with stakes like that? An un- undeniably bountiful blessing. And yet, admittedly, some real, real downsides when it goes poorly. Well, thankfully, God has not left us without the blueprint for his good design of marriage. One man, one woman brought together in one flesh till death do them part. And this morning, we're going to see that he gives us that for our good, yes, but for something else as well. For his glory. Uh, I think this is the key missing ingredient as most people enter into marriage these days. We're mostly thinking of it in terms of what we're going to get out of it. How our spouse will fulfill our needs, be the missing piece in our soul. And we've lost sight of this bigger part of marriage. That each and every earthly marriage, however imperfect, is meant to show us a picture of the love of Jesus. Jesus this is my big idea this morning. Marriage is meant to mirror the love of Jesus. Marriage is meant to mirror the love of Jesus. We'll see that teased out in a word to wives and a word to husbands. The word wives in verse 22 to 24 is that they must freely submit, freely submitting. Freely submitting, and then the one the husbands, lovingly leading, lovingly leading. Let's begin that first one, freely submitting, 22 through 24. Frankly, these verses cause more than a few people to break out in hives just hearing them read. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I know just in reading that, immediately images are conjured in people's minds. Some people are thinking of women wearing red robes and white shawls, being kept under the thumb of authoritative husbands in a way that is destructive and abusive and nothing like the goodness and the glory of God. Um, And I know that that's unavoidable because we've all lived with examples of this being done very poorly, sometimes with these verses attached to them. Uh, So I'm going to borrow the framing that Pastor Kevin DeYoung uses in uh, his book on this um, and tell you the things it does not mean before I get to making my case for what it does mean. So first and foremost, we must recognize that the terms headship and submission They can't mean nothing Um, as much as we would rather they not be in the Bible and make things easier culturally on us. uh, We can't pretend they're not there, and nor are we free to redefine them in such a way that they don't challenge us whatsoever. Uh, The word for headship, the Greek word kephale, has a very well-attested meaning, and it is undoubtedly a, a, a word of authority. Uh, Much like you might speak of someone being the head of an organization, that means they have some sort of leadership position, like a CEO or a manager. So the head in a marriage is undoubtedly supposed to be understood as some sort of God-given authority to exercise some sort of leadership. The same way, the word submission is really not in dispute. I mean, somehow or the other, it's talking about coming underneath that authority within a marriage. So I'm sure if you go on the internet, you'll be able to find someone with some very creative interpretations to try and get around it, Uh, but frankly, there's not much dispute what those words mean. Now, with that said, though, there are a number of other things that it certainly does not mean that my guess is where most of our fears are. So first, it doesn't mean that a wife is somehow of lesser value in God's eyes than her husband. Um, In the Bible, it is perfectly possible for someone to have a different role and yet to be of equal value. So take, for example, Jesus himself. He is God the Son, and yet in his incarnation, he came and took on the form of a servant. Now, in his doing that, he had a role that no one else in the Trinity had, and yet he is no less God, no less worthy of worship, right? So in the same way, husbands and wives... Are, are both co-heirs of the grace of Christ. They're both made in the image of God. They both have gifts from the indwelling Holy Spirit. So any sort of way that tries to teach that this means that wives are somehow lesser than their husbands, it's off base. Third, it does not mean that a woman should be dominated by her wife, uh, either by being led into sin by him or by being abused by him. Now, when it says that the, husband, uh, the, the wife is to submit to the husband as to the Lord, very important to remember that as to the Lord does not mean the husband is her Lord. No, that is, that is her submission is part of the Lordship of Christ in her life. And that means she must obey God, not man. If her husband tries to lead her into sin, she must not participate. And if she is being abused by said husband, it is not loving, and is certainly not living out this command to remain under that abuse and call it, give him opportunity to continue in his sin. Now I just need to stop here because it could be that someone here this morning is in a situation that is frankly one of those abusive uh, uses of, uh, of a husband's authority. Uh, and if you're here this morning and that's you, just, just know that our church is a place where you would be safe to come and ask for help. And I pray that God would provide you with the grace and strength needed to come and ask for that sort of help. Uh, There's no excuse for a husband to mistreat his wife. Remember, the image we're given is the way that Christ leads the church. And that's not something monstrous. That's something beautiful. Fourth, it's not about each and every man and each and every woman in the church. Okay? Um, This is specifically talking about husbands and wives So if you're in a small group and there's a mix of men and women, this does not mean there should, uh, that the women in the group should live out submission to the men in the group and the men should exercise headship over the women in the group. That's not what this is talking about. There there are other places in the Bible that speak about authority in the church, but this is not that passage and I'm not going to deal with that this morning. So it's just safe to say this is not for everyone, to every person, not all men to all women, but specifically husbands to wives. And then finally, I think this is the most important one as I think about the most common objections I've heard to this. Realize this is not talking about something that is coerced out of a woman, but instead something that is given as a gift freely. Um, Kathy Keller, the wife of the uh, late Tim Keller, Um, In their book, The Meaning of Marriage, describes how they struggled mightily to live this out. Part of it was that Tim was a naturally reserved, kind of passive husband. And she is admittedly a very assertive, strong woman with a lot of education and a lot of credentials to her name. And so when it came time to live this out, they struggled. They really did. And she said that that is until something clicked into place for her. I'm going to read her words. She said, I learned that my submission was a gift I offered, not a duty coerced from me. Now think about this. The Bible never says, husbands, submit your wives. That's not your job to submit her. Now instead, it's something that she is supposed to freely offer up for the good of the marriage and for the glory of God. Okay, now I've told you all the things that it's not. Now I'm going to make the case for what I think it actually is. I'm going to give you two definitions up front, and then I'm going to fill out how I get there. So what does it mean by headship? I would define headship this way. It is that God-given responsibility to husbands to lead for the benefit of their wives. The God-given responsibility to husbands to lead for the benefit of their, of their wives. Um, on the flip side, submission. What is that? It is the free gift where a wife uses all that she has and all that she is for the good and glory of her husband. It is a free gift where a wife uses all that she has and all that she is for the good and glory of her husband. And when those two things are done in a Christian marriage, it is a powerful and beautiful thing. All right, now how do I get here? How do I get to those definitions? Well, for that, we gotta go back to Genesis. And we don't have time to go verse by verse through the creation story, but I will summarize the important parts for you. Um, For the kids that are here this morning, I know that you know the Genesis story. It's one of the favorites for kids. Um, God creates the world and everything in it. And including the animals and the plants, and then he makes Adam. And he gives Adam a job. In the last service, I asked the kids to yell it out. I won't do it this time. What was his job? It was to name the animals. And in so doing, what happened? Adam discovered that there was a problem. Uh, It turned out that all of the animals came in pairs there was a male and a female. And yet, in his case, there was no other half, it was just him. And where Genesis has been repeating over and over, it was good, it was good, we get our first, it was not good. And that was that man would be made alone, that there was no helpmate suitable for him. So God creates Eve. He takes her out of man. And Adam breaks out into poetic song once he sees her for the first time. Now, in that story, we see the two important parts of what we need to be able to live out our callings as husband and wife. On the wife's side, that designation as a helper is the key. Uh, That word helper in English, it sounds a little bit weak. It's not so in the Bible. Uh, That word for helper is the same word that was in Psalm 93, where God was our helper, It's the word that's used when an army has reinforcements come to the line of battle to try and help to win the overall effort. A helper is someone who takes their resources and uses them for the benefit of someone else. So Adam, he was lacking someone to powerfully come alongside and help. So God created Eve. On the other side, you have Adam. Uh, he has a specific role. He's the one made first. And because Eve is brought out from him, he has this role of headship or of leadership. First uh, Corinthians 11 connects the dots that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and as the father is the head of the son. So in the same way, by God's design in marriage, husbands are to have a role of loving leadership. But of course, unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. I mean, that's beautiful and good. And yet, Genesis chapter 3 comes along. And it turns the whole thing upside down. Um, Eve gets, uh, falls into temptation by the, the devil. The serpent gets her to eat the forbidden fruit. And she leads Adam to do the same. And Adam, passively, allows himself to be led into the, uh, the sin And then as a result of that, God shows up and Adam throws his wife under the bus and says passively, oh yeah, she's the one who tempted me into doing X, Y, and Z. The the whole dynamic has been turned upside down, right? And then the curse itself has more of the same. Eve is told that her desire is going to be for her husband, but that he is going to rule over her. There is built in ditches in our hearts. Where the wife will desire to be in control. And the husband will, like a tyrant, force his way into the position of authority. In all this, marriage, frankly, was broken. Uh, But the Bible ends on a note of redemption for marriage. Uh, Jesus and his church. He does everything needed for his church to be made perfect and holy. And she's prepared like a beautiful bride for her husband on the final day. And everyone is invited to the feast afterward as that marriage is to be consummated. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, all of that shows us that marriage has woven within it God's beautiful design and it is ending in a good place for all of us. Now, for us this morning specifically, what we should draw from this is two things, uh, two resources that I think, ladies, you need if you were to live out your calling to uh, freely submitting in your marriage. The first is to see that marriage is not just about you and your husband. Uh, we, again, because Disney has set us up this way, we think so much in terms of wish fulfillment and everything feeling totally satisfying forever in marriage. Then when it doesn't live up to that billing, we find ourselves wandering in the abyss. What in the world happened? How did we go so far astray? But if you allow ourselves to see the bigger thing that God is doing and your marriage as a part of it, you can actually draw encouragement for your imperfect marriage in the here and now. Somehow, in all of the undone laundry and the last fight that you and your husband had, And the questions you have about whether you guys are doing it all right. Somehow in that, God has worked it out both for your good and for his glory. So that people are seeing a picture of the love of Christ. Um, I think that when spouses see that, it it gives them something bigger than themselves to hold on to. And it allows them, frankly, to weather some storms. that otherwise, they would just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, hey, this isn't working anymore. So first, get outside yourself. See this bigger thing that God is doing. The second thing I would say is realize that you need the resource of the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you allow your eyes to go up the page in Ephesians 5, just a little bit, uh, that command for wives to submit to husbands is actually part of a larger section. I'll I'll read part of it for you starting in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing or making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Sound familiar? Submitting? Um, So the call for an individual wife to submit to a husband is actually a continuation of a larger thought of how all Christians are called to submit to each other by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time we prefer each other to our own needs, we are living out that call. And in that sense, we're all prepared to be able to submit. Because the Holy Spirit is helping us to. Now ladies, I'll just point out that um, you're actually following Jesus' example and living out an example of him when you submit to your husband. Um, Remember that Jesus himself, he again and again submitted himself to his father's will. Uh, In the garden, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He used all he had and all he was for the good and the glory of his father. Now, that wasn't a monstrous thing. That was a beautiful thing. There's a reason why we sang about it this morning. And the same way, if you draw on these resources, you truly can, with God's help, You can live out this high calling. Now, how do you actually apply it? I know this is where people want me to land. What does this actually look like? Does this mean the husband is deciding where we go out to eat all the time? Does this mean that he handles the checkbook or he's the only one that works outside the house, or you name it? Whatever the question is, right? Now, I actually think this is one of the mistakes that many Christians have made over the years is getting too prescriptive about this principle. Different couples are going to have different mixes of personality types, different giftings, uh, different experiences. Uh, there's also the factor of a lot of what we expected marriage comes from the culture that we are born into. So if you go and look at Christians in another part of the world or at a different time, you would have very different expectations for what it meant for a husband to lovingly lead or a wife to freely submit. So I am actually not going to get super prescriptive to you this morning. I'm going to leave it much more general and leave it for the Holy Spirit to fill in specifically in your own heart. So I will hazard two sets of questions for you to ask yourself, wives. First would be, ask yourself, might there be some area in my heart where I do not do this as well as I could? Not that you are... Completely ignoring this command. But like every other area of the Christian life, we are a mixture of having victories in obedience and having setbacks in sin, right? So, might there be some sort of area where your obedience is not, uh, your uh, submission is not as joyful as it should be, or where your following the lead of your husband is not as apparent as it should be? Might there be some way where something is chafing you just a little bit about the way God set this whole thing up? Uh, My invitation to you would be to to pray and ask the Lord to reveal if so, so that you would have the chance to repent and find the joy of correcting yourself. And maybe that's something you talk with with a trusted Christian friend. That's a a good topic for you to talk about. Uh, The second thing I would invite you to do is to articulate your desire to live this out. Uh, frankly, it's much easier to lovingly lead if the person articulates that they want you to lovingly lead. They want to be led. Um, so ladies, one thing that you can do that communicates a lot of respect, and I would say encourages your husband to step in, uh, into the role that God's given him, is to articulate and say to them, you know, honey, I respect you. Honey, on this one, even though I know we're a little bit at odds, I'm going to trust your, your decision making on this. Uh, Even those small phrases go a long way, and they greatly encourage your husband. And uh, again, whether he responds well or not, you're still called to this. But frankly, it more often than not goes much better uh, when both spouses are are playing their roles. So articulate your response and see what the Lord might do. All right, that's a high calling I've given to the ladies. Uh, But don't worry men, you are not off the hook. In fact, your calling is just as high, and that is you are called to lovingly lead. That's in 25 through 33. Now, in these verses, love is undoubtedly the main theme. It's repeated four times, and it's implicit several more. And let's be honest. uh, This is not something that most men are known for being great at. Uh, We oftentimes are passive and cold and Uh, people would choose a lot of other adjectives to describe us before they land on loving. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is not an impossible task. And in fact, we have the resources we need to help our wives flourish for their good and for the glory of God. Uh, There are four types of love this passage talks about. The first is That loving headship we saw that in verse 23. The husband's the head of the wife. Um, In my experience, most husbands naturally fall into one of two ditches: either we are guilty of being uh, of gravitating toward the couch, or gravitating toward too much control. Um, If you if you gravitate toward the couch, you're naturally passive. You tend to come home from work. You're not as engaged with your wife and kids as you should be. Life just kind of happens to you. And you're not in an active, proactive sort of mode. On the flip side is the person that is too addicted to control. They're like a tyrant in the home, dictating every little detail of what people do or say. And it's never enough. There are always more things for them to criticize. But that's not the example we're given of what loving leadership is supposed to look like. Because our example of loving leadership is Christ and his leadership of the church. He is both strong and he is kind. And he always uses his position of authority, not for his selfish gain, but for the good of his bride. So, husbands, ask yourself are you engaged in the home the way you should be, leading, initiating? And if you are, are you using your position of leadership for selfish gain? For the things you want, or are you using them for the benefit of the wife that God has given you? That's the first one, loving head. The second one is loving sacrifice. That's what we see in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, this one is rooted in the center of the gospel itself. Our marriages, as Paul says down in verse 32 are really about the mystery of the gospel of Jesus, of Christ giving himself for his church. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the basic message of Christianity, that the God of heaven loved us so much that his son gave his life up willingly so that he could save a bride for himself, to wipe away all of our sins by paying her penalty in his own blood. And that now we can experience the greatest of all loves. The love of God forever and ever. If we'll just repent and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now if you don't know how that works exactly after the service come talk to me. I would love to walk you through how you can know the love of Christ that saves sinners. Now men realize that that highest of all standards is the standard for our love toward our wives and our children. We are supposed to be the sort of husbands that regularly die to ourselves, that sacrifice, that put their needs ahead of our own needs and find joy in doing so. Uh, Husbands, ask yourself, what are the things you are giving up so that your wife could flourish? Are you giving up your time, your money? Are you giving up of your Little free time you have in the evenings after work, would you lay down what you have so that she might flourish? Uh, We were at men's retreat last year. Men's retreat's next weekend, men. Be a wonderful thing for you to go to. And our guest speaker, Roger Williams, talked about what are called funeral virtues. That is, what do you want people to say about you when you're in the casket? And they're all gathered around talking about you. And Roger pointed out that nobody imagines that moment with people standing around saying things like, I'm so glad my dad spent all his Saturdays at the office. I'm so glad my husband, I'm so glad he got up, left the house at 6 a.m. and came back at 9.30 p.m. And I barely even saw him. Uh, No one cares about your accolades and your career. They don't care about what your handicap was on the golf course. What are the things that we want people to say? I know my dad loved me because he sacrificed for me. He spent time with me. I know my husband loved me because he always put me first. Maybe you haven't been living up to that level of sacrifice in your marriage so far. Friend, with God's help, you can. By the Holy Spirit's power within you and looking to the example of Jesus, giving himself sacrificially for you. You can take imperfect but true steps to die to self so that your wife might thrive. Third, loving sanctification. That's what we see in 26 through 27. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands have a role to use their leadership in the home so that their wives would be led into greater degrees of holiness and righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you need a seminary degree or you have to be a preacher, but it does mean that you have to prioritize discipleship. Somehow or the other, you have to have a goal in mind that I am going to somehow help my wife to love Jesus more and be more faithful to her calling as my helper and as a disciple of Jesus. Now, maybe, men, you're like me, the type of person that makes goals for the year. Every year I do that. I make goals uh, for myself, um, my ministry, and I make goals for my family. I, I write out things that I think would be beneficial for Precious and the kids, and I'm thinking along those lines, mainly spiritually, how, how can they thrive more in their understanding of the love of God and their uh, personal walk of discipleship? Uh, so things you can do, um, you can start initiating spiritual conversations after church, talk with your wife about what you just heard in ways that you think that the word is impacting you. Ask her, how's God speaking to you through the word that was just preached? Uh, Men, one of the things more basic than that even is just the process of getting here to church. Uh, Too often, men are the ones that are getting dragged to church by their wives. Men should be leading the way. If your goal is that your wife would be sanctified, washed by the water of the word, where better place to make sure she comes than to church? Don't make that like pulling teeth to get here. Maybe you pick up the, a book like the one I mentioned earlier. You say, hey, honey, let's read this together. Let's spend some time praying together. When you have that sort of intentionality to build your wife up spiritually, it has a powerful effect. Um, I once made call uh, would, uh, make visits to a widow whose uh, husband had passed years before I met her. And she would talk often about how much she loved being married to her now deceased husband. And I, so I would ask her, what were the things you loved about him? She loved to talk about him, so I love to hear, right? So what was he like? And she would tell me quirks about his personality. But then one day she said, you know the thing I miss most, the thing I love most now that I think about it with my husband? Is that we would pray together. Each night before we go to bed, he would turn to me and say, Honey, let's pray before the throne of grace together. And that was better than all the rest of it. Husbands, don't you want your wife to be able to say something like that about your leadership? That after you're gone, if the Lord takes you before her, she would be able to say, my husband was not perfect, but he loved the Lord. And he helped me to love the Lord better than he, I would have without him. There's one final category for love and a loving leadership, and that is love for yourself in 28 through 30. That sounds selfish, but actually it's not. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as, as Christ does the church. Think of all the things that you do for your body on a regular basis. You wash it. You shave it. You rest it. You feed it. At times, you medicate it, you stretch it out, and you even rest it. Why do you do all those things? Because it's in your self-interest to do those things, right? Otherwise, you will pay the penalty for not taking care of your body. You're not a disembodied spirit. You've got to take care of yourself, right? Well, husband and wife have been united in a mysterious one-flesh relationship so tightly together that when the husband nourishes and cherishes his wife, in one sense, he's really looking out for himself. Uh, You won't thrive unless your wife is thriving. You won't be healthy unless you see, too, that your wife is healthy. Uh, Two words that Paul uses there, nourish and cherish, bring to mind activities like gardening, someone very carefully attending to the needs of a fragile plant, making sure it gets just the amount of water it needs, just the amount of fertilizer, protecting it from pests and things that would destroy it. Or like a shepherd, protecting a sheep from the wild and the dangers of predators. A husband is to be that sort of caretaker for his wife and kids. Certainly that means meeting their basic needs of food, Clothing and shelter, but more than that, their needs relationally, their needs emotionally. A uh, Man, it's not enough that you put a roof over their heads. Ask yourself, do you really know them? Uh, do you know them enough to know what they actually need? Do you know what they're afraid of? Do you know what they're excited by? Do you know what they're hopeful of? How can you lovingly lead if you don't take the time to know those that you are supposed to nourish and cherish? According to Paul, you do great disservice to yourself. Because remember, the two of you are connected. She's called to to freely submit. You are called to lovingly lead. And your union is intended for the mutual good of you both and for the glory of God. So men, would you hear that calling and ask God's help? Get on your knees that you might live up to it to be the loving leaders that you need to be in your house. Now that's a high, high bar that's been set. And, but we need to remember it's not an impossible one. Even when we've stumbled and fall, fallen, there's grace for us to pick us up and to give us the strength we need to grow into the husbands and wives God intended for us to be. And when we do, our earthly marriages will actually be bigger than just us. They will be a picture of the love of Jesus Christ for his church. Because even when we do this imperfectly, when we do it truly, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, years ago, there was a couple, Robert and Muriel Mc- Quilkin, who lived through a very trying, difficult stage in their marriage. Uh, Robert was a Bible college professor and seminary president of a growing, a very successful uh, college. And Muriel herself had a very impactful ministry. She was on the radio. She had all sorts of speaking engagements. They were known as the sort of people that lived out the Christian calling of marriage very well. She freely submitted in joy, and he lovingly led to her good. But then one day, Muriel was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. If you know anything about that disease, it's horrible. It robs you of everything, and it's a slow journey to the end of it. Uh, So Robert watched as Muriel started to lose her ability to do pretty much everything. First, her ministry, then pretty soon basic things around the house. And then pretty soon, as he described it, basically even all the things that you expect that are the basics of being married to someone. It got so bad at one point that Muriel couldn't stand to be without him for any length of time. So while he was off at the college, she would walk from their house to the campus compulsively. She had walked there 10, 12 times in a single day. He came home one day and found her feet had been blistered and bloodied raw from all the walking. And he said that's when he knew it was time to leave behind his ministry in order to serve his wife. Now, his decision proved to have an outsized impact on the people around them. I'll let him describe it in his own words from an article he wrote in Christianity Today. I've been startled by the response to the announcement of my resignation. Husbands and wives renew marriage vows. Pastors tell the story to their congregation. It was a mystery to me until a distinguished oncologist who lives constantly with dying people told me, almost all women stand by their men. Very few men stand by their women. Perhaps people sensed this contemporary tragedy and somehow were helped by a simple choice I considered the only option. It's all more keeping promises and being fair, however, as I watch her brave descent into oblivion. Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I always loved, I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. God gave us the gift of marriage for our good and for his glory. Brothers and sisters, even when we live it out imperfectly, it is a powerful and beautiful picture of the love of Christ. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for loving, loving a bride who is so unlovely in herself. And yet, because of your loving leadership, your washing through the water of the word, your relentless pursuit, your care for her soul, and always tenderly working for her good, Thank you for the way that we can know that a good day is awaiting us when we see you, our husband, and the day of our joy begins in the consummation of all things. Jesus, would you help us to live up to our calling in our earthly marriages, knowing how easy it is for us to make such a mess of things. And yet with your help, the way our imperfect attempts to lovingly lead and freely submit can show a picture of your beautiful love for us. So Jesus, now as we sing this song, would you fill our hearts with gratitude and joy, even as we revel in this fact that you love us, your chosen bride, your people, We pray this thing in your mighty name. Amen.